You've found the place where healthcare's foremost leaders, thinkers, doers all come to share, to inspire, and to build a better healthcare world, one idea at a time. This is Patient No Longer. Welcome in. I'm Ryan Donahue, thought leader, author, and strategic advisor with NRC Health and host of Patient No Longer, the podcast in search of what's new, what's next, and what's making healthcare more human. I'm excited to be joined today by Jason Wolf. Hello, Jason. It's so great to be here. Jason is president and CEO of the Barrow Institute, a position he's had over a decade. He's the founding editor of the Patient Experience Journal, and he's president of the Patient Experience Institute. I'm detecting a theme here. <laughs> and not in his bio, but Jason and I have actually shared a virtual panel during some time in the COVID days. It's all a little bit of a fog. We've had a great time virtually, and now we're together. It is great to have you here, and I want to jump right in, Jason. You've got a great calling and a phrase that you use, and that is, to care is human. I like that play on words, to care is human. What does that mean to you? I appreciate it. And I think, you know, a lot of us that have lived in the healthcare space for the last few decades know the sort of the infamous to air is human report that came out. Now it's crazy over 20 years ago. The premise was, hey, that's great to look at it from that perspective. But I think from the Institute perspective, it's been about an appreciative approach to this work. How do we build on our strengths? And the essence of healthcare isn't really just the health part, which we focus on, but it's the actual delivery of care as an action. And the reality of caring for me, like this idea of to care as human, emerges from who we are, specifically as human beings caring for human beings. It's an innate and built-in part of our human DNA. And so it's something we can all hold on to. We understand that we care for each other. We care for our families or our friends. I mean, as we begin to extrapolate on that and build on that, it really enables us to take that to the level of what the implications are for healthcare and caring for people at their most vulnerable moments. So really that play on the fact that as human beings, we care for other human beings in healthcare and to care is ultimately human. We all go back to the report that you mentioned, the air is human. It feels like that was just a touchstone along the healthcare journey that you can't ignore. And a lot of things changed since. I know there's people who've been in this industry for 15 years watching CAPS metrics. We at NRC Health, full disclaimer, are one of the largest surveyors of CAPS. And I've asked this of other guests, and I absolutely need to ask it of you. A lot of people feel like they spun their wheels with CAPS. And if you look at some of the national reports, there are places, pockets of improvement, but some of that looks pretty flat yes. over 15 years. What is your take on that? And specifically for people who've been trying to move that needle and haven't seen the progress, at least to match the energy they're putting in, what do you say about that progress or lack thereof? And what do you say to those folks? Yeah. I mean, so I'll talk about this a little bit even in, in our talk today, but I you know, as we look at CAPS, to me, that's a measure of a moment in time. And using that as the pure indicator of how we've done or not done gets tricky because it's a regulated survey around a specific set of questions with a diminishing set of responses in a limited amount of really demographically representative samples. And so I think the realities for CAPS are it's a necessary evil. And it's actually, I think, as you said, helped focus people that might not have been focused on this now. 15, almost 20 years ago, right? But I think if that is the indicator that we use, if that is the metric we use for success, then we're never going to feel like we succeeded. And I think the opportunity for us to look at experience from a more integrated perspective is the lens I believe in, right? That's a measure of a moment in time. But if we can look at how we have been able to improve our finances, improve the quality of care, ensure that people feel cared for in our workforce, 
feel supported in what they're doing in a very tough environment in particular today. Those are the indicators we need to really find. So I think it's important to measure what matters for your organization, understanding that CAPS exists for policy and structural standpoints, and that's the backbone of our work. And as we all know, I mean, you all are the measurement experts, right? We've got compression over time, right? The scores get closer. It's harder to distinguish yourself. And so I'm always cautious that people use that as the pinnacle of judging how they're doing, but rather use it as a baseline to understand these are the things that are important. Let's keep working on them. You know, thinking about that and using that as the baseline, we all too often default to. It's a little bit like we're spinning our wheels in the car. Maybe it's time to open the door and get out yeah. and look at it from a different perspective. And I want to talk to you about some of those other perspectives as well. I think we do see improvement in measurement, and I think that people do some of the right things. But what's sometimes left behind in our dashboards and in all the data, remember big data? Yeah. Big data was like everywhere, and then COVID <laughs> just put a clamp on that. And so you've got these individual caregivers, Jason, who are thinking, you know, there's no way to measure me specifically in the dashboard, but I'm here on the ground floor trying to provide great care. What in your mind and in all you know and in all you've done to improve the patient experience, if you were talking to a single caregiver on the other end, what advice would you give them to sort of think about this differently or to improve the patient experiences they personally provide? Yeah. I mean, to me, it comes back down to the definition of patient experience itself, the sum of all interactions shaped by an organization's culture that influence patient perceptions across the continuum of care. And the reality is that that is done by a series of individual interactions. So the most important factor in experience excellence, not even just improvement, but excellence overall, is that individual interaction you have one person to another. So in fact, that caregiver, that frontline person providing care, the person in the back of the house cleaning trays for food service is that point of care. That's the interaction that matters at that moment. And so when every individual realizes what they own in the delivery of the healthcare experience makes a difference in the lives of others, they can do the best that they choose to do in that moment. And so to me, it is really how us, how we as individuals own our own personal interactions in healthcare, be they with patients and family members, be they with the community member that walks in our lobby, that's there for a fair, or be it with a peer who we find sitting on the curb with their heads in their hands because they just had enough today. I think for the individual, if we can manage that interaction, make that choice to make that interaction the best it can be for the person in front of us or beside us then I think we are actually building the right foundations for excellence and experience overall. Well, I would agree. And I think what's powerful about that is when you take something down to the individual interaction, if I'm an individual caregiver, that does seem manageable. Yeah. That's something that I have almost complete control over versus the entire organization when you look at it and you zoom out and it, it can be quite daunting. I want to zoom out to the organizational level and, and ask you this, as you've gone through across this great country and work with all those different institutes that are trying to improve patient experience they provide, what stands out to you as some of the biggest organizational barriers? Mm -hmm. So the individual caregivers, maybe they're pulling their load and they're doing their part, but what's happening at the organizational level that's stopping that widespread improvement? Yeah, so I would say, you know, we've even got data in our state of human experience study that we look at, but, you know, I believe it's a lack of strategic focus very often because people, back to our previous discussion, sometimes still link experience to the satisfaction, check the box, or the survey results. And they don't think about it from this integrated perspective that experiences, how people hear about you before they ever get there, all the things that happen while they're there and everything that they hear and engage it afterwards. And so I think the biggest barrier is organizations being willing to look beyond experience as a measure. 
and the reality that it is what we do every day in our healthcare organizations. You know, whether we have a strategic plan for experience, whether we collect survey data or not, someone right now in every healthcare institution, in every place around the world, is having an experience. They're having an experience in their care. And we can either let that be happen a chance, or we can strategically ensure that it happens in a way that we know is going to provide the kind of experience that we would want our own individual organizations to provide. I think that's the missing point. You know, to say, as an organization, what do we want people to feel like, experience, what actions do we want them to see that will help them understand who we are as a healthcare organization? We often disconnect those things in a way that people don't realize that. And I think that's a leading reason why we can bake up the most wonderful strategy and place it across a timeline of three or five years and think we have the resources and we don't get those results. It is interesting to hear you make that connection, and I agree with you on the strategic implications of an experience. I feel like as CAPS was maybe evolving and you've been around for a while like me, you know, you did start to see patient experience kind of show up as a pillar or part of that plan or on a bullet somewhere in a strategic planning retreat. It always felt a little bit of a token pillar to me. Do you think that that is still the case or are you starting to see that change at the strategy level? You've hit one of my hot spots in terms of even the pillar word itself. I always say, sure. you know, hey, and I think everybody listening and everybody even here supporting this, I mean, if we thought, okay, well, today is experience day, does that mean that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you know, we've got one pillar a day? So your experience, if you come on Tuesday, you're lucky because that's experience day, right? And I think that, you know, it comes back to my bigger point that experience happens, right? Quality and safety occur. We don't designate these things as things that happen in a specific time, but they have to happen all the time. And so I think the missing point was when we made it an individual bucket or siloed experience away as something that we could or we could choose not to do, rather than the fact that, like I said before, we are having an experience at all points of care, and it's our quality, it's our safety, it's our cost, it drives the outcomes that we're trying to create. And so I think it is an inversion that I don't think a lot of healthcare organizations, I shouldn't say a lot, but I don't think some have still made to say, okay, the way we design ourselves is about providing the right experience, quality outcomes, safe outcomes, you know, accessible healthcare for our communities. And so I think it really is around breaking down that mindset. I had so many people said, hey, look, we're so excited. We have a patient experience initiative. I know probably won't ask that today, but I think how many people here have a patient experience initiative? And everybody raises their hand because they're so excited because it think like we're good, we're doing it too. It's and official. I, right. And I said, okay, well, let's talk about initiatives we've ever been a part of, whether in healthcare or likewise. What do initiatives have? They have beginnings, which means they have middles, which means they also have what? Ends. And leads. And who gets to be the person the day after you end the patient experience initiative? So, I mean, I think we have to get over this. It's a strategic pillar or it's a section of our strategy to realize all of the things we do strategically in healthcare actually impact the way we provide care. And that's the way I like to frame it. And I should say I'm by no means an advocate of pillars. Yes. I'm more of a product of my environment. I understood and I would, that. I would hate to be the Saturday pillar, yes, Jason. Exactly. I would not want my initiative. The, the after hours pillar. Of- to land on Saturdays would be brutal. Let's take a tiny break. We've got a new feature. I'm hitting you with some rapid fire questions now, but I think of them as lower importance unless you, maybe you've got a commentary on this too. But this is our speed round. Speed round. Couple quick ones just so the audience can kind of, you know, familiarize themselves with Jason in a more personal way. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Okay. Zero. Okay. Okay. We'll allow a slight brand very (laughs) Fiction or nonfiction? I'm a fiction guy. Okay. Morning person or night owl? 
Can I say both because I don't sleep? <laughs> We've had people say neither, so yes. both is fine too. And then favorite TV show of all time. Favorite TV show of all time. Your very favorite. Did only oh, pick one. My goodness. That is a good one. Is this the stumper? I, I come back to Seinfeld still. Okay. I just, you know, I'm an old New Yorker and actually lived a block away from where they were supposed to live when they were growing up. So it still reminds me of a show about nothing is pretty profoundly important. I would agree. And it foreshadows the last speed round question, which okay. I think I can predict. Boston or New York? No, I'm a New Yorker. I mean, I, I'm no offense to my friends from Boston. But, and I love chowder, but I like a good hot dog, pretzel, and a slice of pizza a lot better. So. Okay, fair enough. See, I knew you'd make the speed round interesting too. Let's come back to patient experience and let's take that first word, patient. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about organizations and caregivers, really important to focus on. Patients, this is something that's coming up in 2023 that I'm hearing more and more of people saying, listen, we're doing our best, but patients have to do their part too. And personal responsibility has to come into play. Is it important for patients to feel personally responsible for that care and well-being? And where does that fit within the caregiver's responsibility? You know, there's layers to this responsibility. But for the patient at the center of that, what's their level of responsibility they need to take? So I love the question because I think it, it gets at the heart of what we've missed in healthcare for a while now, which is we have made healthcare transactional. And I think the reason patients haven't felt, quote-unquote, responsibility is because we make them objects of our care delivery. And so we haven't created environments where they felt like they had to be responsible. We call ourselves providers. We have appointments and waiting rooms and all these kinds of things. So they're just passed down a track. And so the healthcare system hasn't really ever asked for that level of responsibility or invited the partnership. Now, I think, you know, we've talked about this before, even this ability to engage patients and family members, their care partners as partners in care is essential to the best outcomes. But that's a more recent, and I say recent, like decades recent conversation. And we're moving to a relational basis of care. I mean, I think that's the transformation to human experience. And so with that shift to relational nature, then it really becomes fair to have conversations around what is everyone's role in providing the best outcomes. And, you know, as we just did some work with the community on this new existence, I don't believe there's any new normal. There's nothing normal about healthcare, but the new way of being, the new existence that we have is really about creating partnership among our care teams around helping patients know that they're part of what's going on, family members or care partners know that they're part of what's going on and have them feel comfortable and safe and engaging in that way. And I think we have to create that environment where we can't just say they have to be responsible too because the environment that we perpetuate in healthcare actually makes patients feel like they're just riding the conveyor belt versus actually engaging in their care. So if we're willing to change that conversation and the structure as a system, I think inviting the responsibility happens. Right now, I mean, the work place everywhere, but in particular in healthcare, is not safe. I mean, there's incidents of increasing violence. People are angry just in general in society. And so people show up, our workforce feels threatened. And so we have to have that conversation around, we're all partners in care with a common outcome. We want you to get better or at least live whatever days you have left in your life with dignity. And so we have to create the environments to enable those conversations to happen. You know, what's so interesting about the partners in care and just the way that you frame that as a, a true relationship together, it eliminates some of that tension. And I have to bring up a point that a previous guest, a recent guest, Brandon Jones of Krillian Clinic, he brought up his disdain for a phrase that I don't think a lot of people have disdain for. I never thought of as controversial, but he mentioned on a previous episode of this podcast that he can't stand the patient's first mm -hmm. mantra. Now, I know there's healthcare organizations, hospital associations, yeah. 
you know, they, they use that patient's first rallying cry. So I have to ask you, is that something that's helpful? Does that skip over workforce? How do we make sure that the partners and care piece yeah. is something that we live and breathe when some people feel like you're skipping over me or the focus isn't where it needs to be? Well, I mean, it's interesting because if you go all the way back to the definition I shared before on patient experience, which we built as a community now in 2010, at the heart of that definition is shaped by an organization's culture. Culture is the kind of organization you want to build, the people that show up and how they present themselves every day. To build that, you have to care for your workforce. There's an insinuation that wasn't really made explicit in that definition. We jump forward a few years to this conversation on sort of the way we talked about this three levels of human experience from the patient and family care partner at the center to the workforce experience to the community experience, the communities in which you operate, your healthcare systems. And the reality is that you can't take care of patients at the cost of the people that show up to work every day. So I think it's the semantics, really, not the realities of it. Because we understand we put patients and family members at the center of what we do. Right. It's the reason healthcare exists, right. right? But at the same time, we can't deliver on that care unless we care for the people around us. So I get stuck up on the patients at first or who comes second or what's on first or whatever, right? It is the fact that we come back to where we spoke before. We're creating an experience that is relational. We have to care for our workforce to be able to care for our patients. But in caring for our patients, they show up so we can actually have a workforce. Right. And so it is that, I don't even say it's chicken and egg. It is tightly wound together in terms of our capacity to do that. So I can understand where someone that lives sort of in a critical environment, like Brandon did, right? Okay, if we can't show up as a healthy workforce, we're never going to be able to take care of patients. But I think we've got to lose those terms more and think about the relationship and the broader experience that we provide. Yeah, I think sometimes those terms generate from a good place or good intention, but they can cause us to focus too much on, you know, what you might call a Wednesday or Thursday pillar right, project exactly. when it's all together, we're all one unit of this and, and trying to achieve those things. And one other thing that I wanted to make sure I ask you about is you talk a great deal about the things that we've done, the progress we've advanced, you mentioned since 2010. And I love the way that you have those circles where the patient's in it, but it's also our workforce and our community. I think the same thing happens sometimes where we organizationally, the only parts of the community that matter if they're in a gown and they're in our system. And that's simply not true. And I've devoted a lot of my time to focusing on the community, but I get this question. I've got to ask it to you. In 10 years time, we'll say 10, we'll give it a good hearty decade. What's an advancement in patient experience that an average patient will walk in or through a screen or something that they will experience in 10 years that they don't now? It's a great question. I appreciate the decade lens. I think as we were discussing before, you know, healthcare has moved at longer widths of time than others. I will yeah. say though, it might be compressed because I think healthcare surprised us during the pandemic. When we, when we had to rapidly redeploy resources and we had to implement technology that we said would take years and days. Yes. And so I think we've proven to ourselves that we are capable of speed and agility. With that being said, I mean, we could laundry list all the things that are out there, AI or technology, you know, health tourism. I mean, all these things that are happening, you know, the way I've always described even the Barrel Institute is as a catalyst, right? And what do catalysts do? They don't live forever. Catalysts go, they churn up the waters, they create the reaction, and then they kind of vanish in the ether. You don't necessarily ever remember who the catalyst was. And that's okay for me. I remember the Barrel Institute, remember this? I think what we're moving towards is just an experience-based healthcare system. It's not a thing anymore. It just is who we are. It's part of us. And it's happening around the world. I mean, I've you know, really been humbled and honored to be talking about this stuff. And it's the same thing. I ask that question, no matter where I stand in the world, 
how many people here are human beings? You know what? Everybody raises their hand. It's the only question I can ask. It's not Coke or Pepsi, right? It's how many people hundred percent agreement. Roswell, New Mexico, one time, and not everybody raised their hand. We'll talk about that a different. <laughs> but the realities of that are, I think, just like we say in this whole push, like the experience economy, we're creating an experience of care environment in healthcare that is going to be at those multiple layers you touched on. And I think that's going to be the difference. That as we have new leaders that think this way, as systems realize what it's going to take, as healthcare moves out of hospitals into more relationship-based care and it's happening at home, we're going to have to create an environment where experience is the foundational underpinning, kind of the tapestry of healthcare itself. Yeah. And that's going to, I think, going to be the biggest change. So whether we actually need, they'll need you to do surveys. They might not need the Barrel Institute in 10 years because we are just doing it. And that would be awesome. There'll always be importance to elevate this voice. I'm joking. But I mean, I think that the realities are if we can build a system, and I believe it will be one that thinks about healthcare as an experience, then I think we're going to be, we will be in a very different place. I think that's a powerful mission, you know, that if we achieve this, it's similar to what you said about initiatives, that we will not have to exist. Or as they say, you know, every ending is a new beginning. And so maybe it morphs into something else and you can be a catalyst somewhere else. I have to ask you this, Jason, yes. and I think this will be a great way to end this. And we do try to ask this of every guest. Mm-hmm. So you have encountered someone in one of those healthcare organizations. You're walking through the halls, which you do all the time. Mm-hmm. And someone gets in an elevator with you. They are on day one of healthcare. This is their first day on the job in our great industry of healthcare. Mm-hmm. On that elevator ride, what is a piece of advice you would share? Yeah. So it would, I, to me, it's really simple. Do you. I mean, two words, not bad. I mean, you do you, right? You know who you are. You chose this job and this industry for a reason. Bring that. Not the things you think you're supposed to or the things someone told you. Bring you. When you show up for that mom who's crying because her baby broke his arm or for that, you know, husband who just lost his wife or for your colleague who doesn't know that they can actually see another person get hurt, be you, right? And if we show up like that every day, wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. And I don't think we've given people the permission to just do you, be you in the work. And so I wish we could just tell that to everybody. So I have to ride a lot of elevators. But it wouldn't have to be a long ride. I mean, I love the, the straightforwardness of that. And I think it would create a great amount of change if people could feel like they could just do that. I think about the self-trust of that. You can mm-hmm. trust yourself to do some of those things and be yourself and bring your whole self to work. That's powerful. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jason. We can talk forever. We hope to engage you again. We've got you a part of a few things at NRC Health. And of course, would love to have you back on. And you're someone who you do you. And I think we can all be inspired by that. I appreciate that. And your support and all the work y'all do is really critical to our work today. We're glad to partner and partnering in care is something we all need to do. So everyone, Jason Wolf today from the Barrel Institute, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much. And that's the show. Thank you for joining us today as we exchange ideas, share struggles, and celebrate triumphs. Come back next month as we continue our journey through the magical and maddening world of healthcare. Never miss a show. Subscribe at nrchealth.com slash patient no longer or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Ryan Donahue, and you've been listening to Patient No Longer, a presentation of NRC Health, the founders and lead architects of human understanding in healthcare. Until next time. Next week on Patient No Longer, an old friend stops by, e-patient Dave. He gets personal as he talks through the future of healthcare and his own healthcare journey. 
about 15 years ago, I discovered that I was almost dead with stage four kidney cancer. And in the process of doing everything I could to help save my life, I was serving as what I now know is called an engaged, empowered patient. Make sure you're following and subscribing to Patient No Longer wherever you get your podcast. You don't want to miss out next week.